for this season. We're going to consider messages. You call them Christmas messages if you'd like. Messages about the coming of Christ, how he came, why he came, prophecies about his incarnation. And so this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 and 2, reading a bit of the story, making some brief observations. So uh, let me get lined up here. I am a little bit as unorganized as I am. I'm a little bit of a symmetrical freak, so things have to be just right. So. <laughs> Let's pray together before we begin. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this season. Thank you that you came. You didn't uh, just dictate commands on how to live. Lord, you came and walked among us. You showed us how to live, and then you gave your life for our sins, that we might be forgiven, saved, transformed, healed, led, guided, comforted. Lord, thank you so much. Help us to consider all that it costs you to enter into this creation of yours, Lord. You stepped in from the outside. And so, Lord, speak to us today, we pray. We look to you, God, to impact our hearts with the story that we know so well. Have your way, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 1, we're going to look. start at verse 26, go down to verse 38, and then take a look over in chapter 2. So a bit more reading than we normally do, so it's kind of a narrative. So just follow along if you would. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One, who is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this, is, and this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. 
Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. There's a lot to consider in this passage, in these passages, but what I want us to consider today is the humiliation, the humility of Christ's birth. And his, his humility, his humiliation was, was self-appointed. You know, sometimes we are humiliated because we do something foolish and we humiliate ourselves really not wanting to. Or maybe somebody will say something to us and they'll humiliate us and maybe bring out a mistake that we made or something like that. But the humiliation of Jesus, the humbleness of Jesus, the humility of Jesus was self-appointed. He purposely came in a humble way. In a way that in his culture and probably in ours as well, it'd be easy to look down on him or pity him or, or be glad that it wasn't your child or something like that. And we often worry about what people think of us and we try to do everything we can to not humiliate ourselves or do something where somebody else could, could bring it up and, and we'd feel humiliated. Jesus purposely entered this world in, in the lowest way, in the lowest fashion, in great humility. A lot of scriptures here today, so let's go through our notes here. You don't have to turn to the scriptures. That's why I put them in the notes so we can cover the, the ground a little quick, quicker. Some, some considerations for you regarding the entrance of Jesus into the world. These are things that we know, most of us, maybe some of you are hearing them for the first time, but it's always good to consider what it cost Christ to become a Savior. And we often think about the cross, of course, which was a great cost, but at least perhaps in an equally greater way, or in a great way at least, the incarnation was a huge sacrifice. Philippians 2.5, 
through 8 in the, in the New International Version says this, Your attitude should be, the same that, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, God the Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit existing eternally in heaven, but God the Son did not e- consider equality with God something to be grasped. Consider all the divine attributes, the angels worshiping you, as God the Son in heaven before incarnation, never tired, never, never challenged, never um, mocked, never beaten, never killed, never cold, never hot, never wondering, all the things that we go through as humans. Before the incarnation, Jesus didn't experience any of that. It was just the beauty of heaven with the Father and with the Spirit. But Jesus didn't consider that something to be held on to at, at every cost. He didn't say, I have to retain my position no matter what. He didn't say that. Instead, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So we rightly focus, as Pastor Rob so wonderfully pointed our our hearts to, to consider the cross. We sang the song with a wonderful cross. But it started with a humiliating incarnation. Jesus willingly did that. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Not talking financially, of course, but just the glory of heaven. Rich in the glory of heaven, he set it aside, laid it all aside, and became poor. If Jesus would have stepped down out of heaven and become the greatest man on earth, that would have been a step down. But he stepped out of heaven and became a despised man on earth, a great humiliation, so that through his poverty, his self-directed, self-imposed poverty, we could become rich in the things of God. We could become saved. We could become healed, all the things that God brings us. Jesus went from the greater to the lesser. We consider the humiliation of his birth. His beginnings on earth, from he was born in Nazareth, a place of low morals, a place of corruption, place you didn't want to send your kids away to go to school there. It was just a real bad place. God could have chosen Jerusalem, but he chose Nazareth. Jesus, it's where his parents were from. It's where he grew up. Once again, um, you know, if you're making a resume for yourself and there are some cities you just don't want to list that you grew up in. It, it would cast an immediate shadow on your integrity, perhaps. He was called Jesus of Nazareth. He was called a Nazarene in John 1.46. The question was asked when talking about Jesus and that he came from Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So it's just, a, a, according to human standards, it's a bad way to start. You just don't start that way. But Jesus started in the humblest way. We read here in Luke chapter 2, verse 24. Look there if you would. They came to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, two young pigeons. The firstborn of a family would be dedicated to the Lord and instead of leaving him at the temple, they would make a a sacrifice instead and be able to keep their child. If you had a lot of money, you would bring a calf or a a bull or a goat or something like that. But if you were poor, you'd bring a couple of little birds. So that tells us in chapter 2, verse 24, that his family was poor. 
They were poor people. We consider Mary. It says that she was betrothed, which means she was engaged. But in the Jewish culture, that betrothal was as binding as marriage. A woman who was betrothed was considered married, though the, married, though the marriage was not yet consummated. If the husband died, she could inherit all of his possessions because she was technically his wife. They just hadn't come together yet. So basically, she's a married woman who shows up pregnant and has to tell her husband. Imagine that conversation. Joseph, I have something to say. Yes, my dear? <laughs> I don't know how to tell you this. Yes, my dear? I'm with child. You're a what? That was the conversation, something like that. And so Mary, seemingly unfaithful to Joseph, her honor was at stake. People knew. People can count the months. They can count, you know, the time of when a child is born and, and count back and say, you know, that doesn't quite match up. So her honor was at stake. She was probably a teenager, humble peasant, not a prominent family. It was a suspicious pregnancy. The penalty for adultery was death. And so depending on how Joseph handled it, if he wanted to push it, doesn't mean they always practiced it, but if Joseph wanted to make a big enough deal about it, he could find some super zealous religious leaders and they would take her out and stone her. Not what he wanted to do. He was just trying to, to kind of hide her and cover the whole thing over. She was a confused, a teen, accused teen mother. The angel said, you're highly favored, but I doubt if she felt that way. There were even rumors of an affair with a Roman soldier. Now imagine if there's a baby shower for her and all of her friends come and they're like, what do we say? We can't say we're really happy for you. We don't even know who the dad is. And what if it was a Gentile? And what are you going to tell your, your husband? And what about all, and people are talking and we're afraid to even come to the baby shower because we're going to be guilty by association or all those emotional things that, that people do to one another. That was by the design of God, you guys. That was by the design of God. Jesus didn't drop out of a 747 with a gold-plated parachute or hang glide into like, you know, uh, some football stadium on the Super Bowl or something like that. He wasn't some big spectacle thing. It was all just, on the human level, all very, very embarrassing and very suspicious and very uh, humbling. There was great humiliation in the whole thing. Joseph, we read about him. He came from a good lineage, the house of David, so he had good family roots. He was a carpenter, working class guy. He swung a hammer. Nothing special, wasn't a CEO or a white collar guy. He was a just and a righteous man. He felt betrayed and planned on, on divorcing her quietly. Please don't miss the drama in all of this. It's pretty tough to believe your betrothed wife who says, an angel came to me and now I'm pregnant. I mean, that's, a, that's kind of, of all the marital counseling that this pastoral staff has done, we've never heard that one, you know. That's a, that's a tough thing. Joseph has to feel betrayed. I wonder if he went through a disappointed, suspicious lifetime of defensiveness. You know, when there were family gatherings, did anybody ever say, you know, he really doesn't look like you, Joseph? What's Joseph going to say? He can't really say anything. It's great pride to have children in those days, great pride to have a son. 
This is his first child, and it's a son, and it's not even technically his son, according to the flesh. What emotions did he have at this birth? Did he feel any paternal satisfaction? You know, with my boys and with my, my grandboys, and, you know, we treat our boys in our, different than our daughters and our grandsons different than, my, than our granddaughters. But, you know, when my, my, my sons, when our sons do something, I like to say, that's my boy. And Joseph couldn't really ever say that. He may have said, that's her boy. He, but he couldn't really say, in the fullest human sense, he couldn't say, that's my boy. It's her boy. Joseph was a a righteous man, a just man. I'm sure he he got through it all with the best intentions and the best attitude that anybody could have. And yet, that was still there. You know, some some births are surrounded by celebration because everything is done just right. And other births, you know, we we look for any reason to try to be happy, but internally we're just kind of saying, what a shame, and we're just kind of shaking our head and trying to smile, but it's just so many things went wrong. And this is the birth of Jesus Christ. The particulars of the birth on the other side of your page, if you would turn your notes over, if you haven't yet. Bethlehem was 80 miles from Nazareth. So the government here was being actually directed by the Lord because Jesus was called a Nazarene, but he would be born in in the town of Bethlehem He was born in a manger, a small cave, a feeding trough, which was a sign for the shepherds. Shepherds were called to go find him, to bring the news to the world. And so he was not... Imagine being, you know, when I go visit families or or even our children when they've had kids in the hospital, you're looking at a bunch of rooms here and they could be in any one of those rooms, but but Jesus was born in a trough, in a feeding trough, because you don't have to worry which one it's going to be. There's only one cave there, probably a little cave and a feeding trough. The, 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 uh, the shepherds were directed right to him. Kind of the embarrassment of that and all of that for Mary, for Joseph. You know, he, they're, they're poor. He's, you know, guys, don't miss the, the human drama of it. Joseph standing there with his hands in his robe like this and just kind of, I wish I could have done something better for my wife and we had to move and bad time for a birth and... It's not my boy, it's her boy, but I'll raise him as my boy and we couldn't even get into an inn. We couldn't even get into a bed. We're out here with smelly animals and there's stuff on the ground and yep, this is how it is for us. I remember when when Debbie, you know, when we had our first child, Sarah, they were the the alternate birthing centers, the ABC rooms, if you remember that phrase, were just kind of getting getting all started and it's like, yeah, we'll try that. We're not going to be in a real sterile, hygienic, all white uh, hospital room. We were in this room and it had wallpaper and it was nice and really, you know, I mean, it was great, you know. Not Mary. Feeding trough. But God said, I don't want, I don't want these shepherds to miss him. I want to make it easy for them to see him because they can go out and they can tell people. The, the, the support team here, shepherds were outcasts of, of society. It, w- it was said about shepherds that they had a phrase, what's yours is mine and what's mine is mine. Three of you got it. What's yours is mine. <laughs> they were normal, oftentimes known as thieves. 
They couldn't testify in court, and they were really, really looked down upon. But these shepherds were also known to care for the sacrificial lambs that would be offered to the Lord in Jerusalem. So here they are meeting the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. God's design. How we have children. Usually speaking, conception after the wedding, not before. If it happens another way, the Lord loves us and, and you know we just keep moving forward, but generally speaking. Baby showers before and after the birth. None of that for Mary. Birthplace is chosen ahead of time, surrounded by family and friends. Instead they heard, ah. that's it. Maybe a little moo, you know, mooing of the cow or whatever. It's just, you could just, if you're driving on the highway, you just drive, oh, what a shame. Bummer for them. Keep going. You, just, it would, you wouldn't even, it's nothing. It's just a unfortunate poor people having a baby in a cave. The medical support, we love to have the medical support. We send proper birth announcements. We ask people to celebrate all of this. The conversation never came up. Joseph, do you think we should send birth announcements? Uh, no, dear. That, that, she never asked him, probably. And he never suggested it. It was just, from the human perspective, very humiliating. Just don't miss this. This is how Jesus chose to come into the world. You know, there's something very interesting about, um, confess a little weakness of mine. Now everybody's going to really listen, huh? You know, um, when we're here in Napa Valley and we want to share the gospel with people, um, there's, there is some poverty in Napa, um, but you know most of the people that I know on a personal level are not poverty-stricken or anything like that. I still try to share the gospel with them, but um, they're not poverty-stricken. They have a lot. They're probably well-educated. Most of the people I know, a lot of them have college degrees, or if they don't, they're still well-educated people, and they're doing pretty well for themselves. you know. And sometimes that can intimidate me. Like I'm going to go talk to this doctor, or I'm going to talk to this x-ray tech, or I'm going to talk to this professional. I'm kind of, you know, because in my mind, you know, I mean, all the things that go on with our weak, frail flesh and sharing, we're insecure. What are they going to say? What if they say no? All those things, you know, you guys, you guys with me on that? I'm not the only one. Am I anybody else out there that, oh, you liars. <laughs> you know, that's how, that, it just gets that way. But you know, there's just, there's just a natural freedom. I don't know what it is. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not defending my mentality. But when we go to, into poor areas in Mexico, the people are hungry. They're not only hungry physically or for clothes or for medicine or vitamins that we take. They're just hungry for some good news. And I think there's just something about poor people, for me, that makes it very easy for me to approach them. Not because I think I'm better than them. I may be better off than them. It doesn't mean I'm better than them, but I'm better off than they are. And they're probably not going to stand there and look me up and down and judge me and all this kind of... They're just there and they're happy that I show up. And it's the same way in California with those who are, are more needy. They're just happy that I show up. And I'm not intimidated by them. I don't want to be intimidated by anybody, but quite frankly, sometimes we are. 
but around those who are poverty-stricken or in great need, I'm not intimidated because they're just very approachable. And in my mind, this is one of the great reasons why Jesus came this way. It's very approachable. You didn't have to sign up. You didn't have to get reservations. You didn't have to wait in line and, and be you know, directed by uh, bodyguards or, or, or you know, security team or anything like that. It's just there's this little baby and he came this way on purpose. Finally here, a couple of thoughts. Why do it the hard way? Besides all the kind of the hands-on, logistical, practical stuff, there are prophetic fulfillments. And I may do another study on this. There's a lot of prophetic prophecy about the coming of Jesus. Why is that so important? Because it, it identifies him as the Savior. When God the Father through Isaiah 750 years before the birth of Christ or through King David 1,000 years before the birth of Christ says exactly how it's going to work out. Even if one prophecy comes true, that's amazing. When multiple prophecies come true about one birth, it's absolutely validating about who this person is. Prophetic fulfillments were signs so that people would believe. Isaiah 7.4 Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. The virgin conceived and bore a son. Proven. So what? His name is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. He's always around us, but if you're in Christ, he's in you. and He'll never leave you or forsake you. It's a sign that brings an application. The young virgin became pregnant, bore a son, and his name is, I will never leave you. I'm with you. Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, want, come, come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. The virgin birth not only brings us confidence that God is with us but it brings us confidence that he's the ruler that has come from God God used Augustus to bring forth the decree God used an unbelieving man to accomplish his will he still does that a lot I think I'm glad that he can do that what's the application here what's the consideration there was an enormous inconvenience of traveling to Bethlehem to be forced to have a baby in a manger so that everybody would know if they would connect the birth with Micah 5.2, the, the thinking people of the day would say, there's too many things that are lining up. There's too many things that are congealing together. They're coming together. The dots are connecting. Who is this one? Born so lowly and yet born so specifically in this place and under these circumstances. All of these things were signs so that people would know who Jesus was. Genesis 3.15, God told, this is after Adam and Eve had sinned, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Satan, you and the woman are going to be at odds. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Biologically speaking, the seed comes from the man, the egg comes from the woman, and yet God said there's going to be seed that comes forth from the woman. 
There would be no seed from a man because his birth was miraculous. It wasn't the normal union of man and wife. It was an impregnation by the Spirit of God. And between that child that would be born, there would be conflict between him and and Satan, the serpent. And the serpent would bruise his heel at the cross. But through the cross, Jesus would crush his head and bring victory and end sin. Read read Luke chapter 1, guys, with me, if you would. Verse 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which are most surely believed among us, just as those who were from the beginning, they were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, Luke writes, having had perfect understanding from all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Luke's writing the story to a man named Theophilus. Verse 4, guys, please don't miss this, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Theophilus, a new Christian. And Luke says, I want you to be sure about what you know. I'm going to show you how all these things line up together, how all the prophecies are fulfilled. Finally, if you have any questions, please do text them in if you'd like. Jesus is approachable by all. He did not set himself above anyone in his birth. On an emotional level, probably that's, you know, on an intellectual level, I love the prophecies. On an emotional level, I love that part, I think, the most. Because in all my moments of of insecurity and all that, I think I could have walked up to the baby Jesus and been okay. I don't think Mary and Joseph would have scowled me away. They would have been glad anybody came. He wasn't born to a well-to-do family that started well but fell on hard times. It started hard. It started with difficulty. They didn't go from rich to poor. They were only poor. The circumstances of his birth probably elicited pity from many people. He continued to live after the manner of his birth. He stayed humble and he stayed poor his whole life. For me, that's approachability. Finally, his humble, troublesome, questionable birth is a sign that God is with us. Emmanuel. There's so much to consider about the birth of Jesus.